0: you can go in and talk with them and say whatever you want and that you don't have to worry about that in that relationship and other aspects of your life that it's like it's contained in the therapeutic sense and so you might be able to open up more take risks that it doesn't have the same repercussions that you know sharing something with a friend and what the friend does with that or how they're um, how they might perceive that that it's just kind of a more private space to to deal with things and process.
1: You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole.
2: Today we are talking to Dr. Perry Peace. She is a licensed mental health counselor in private practice in Gainesville, and we're talking to Olivia Houston today. She's also a licensed mental health counselor uh, working at the Counseling and Wellness Center at UF. Welcome to both of you. Hi,
3: thanks
0: for having us. Yeah, happy
2: to be here. Thanks for being here. So today we're hoping to kind of demystify and clear out any misconceptions uh, when it comes to someone seeking therapy for the first time. Um, I know that in the media and in movies, you know, going to see a counselor is portrayed very differently than uh, what it is in real life. You know, sometimes it it looks really glamorous and, you know, people are going into therapy and, you know, they're, they've got these amazing offices and, you know, sometimes it's humorous, which therapy can definitely be humorous. And then sometimes, you know, it's kind of scary looking and, you know, you see people just really emoting a lot or having a judgmental therapist or something along those lines. And I know that those things are to entertain But I think it kind of puts off people from actually wanting to start there because they don't really know what to expect. So, Perry, if we could, you know, start with you, if a student were to come to you for therapy, what can they expect
0: yeah, it's funny you mentioned the, you know, television or the images we often get. I usually, like, cringe when I'm watching something and right. they have the the therapist there. <laughs> <laughs> Either they're, like, so sterile and overly professional or they're kind of bizarre and um my husband and I actually were we started watching Dexter during the pandemic we're like Mm -hmm. about you know 10 or 15 years behind everybody else but you know that's probably the most recent thinking of like the the therapists that were portrayed on that show and the the horrible boundaries (laughs) and A woman that's like seeing serial killers out of her home office. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I think my goal when someone comes in is I want them to feel comfortable and I want them to feel accepted. And um, that really what I'm trying to do when they first come in is really just get to know them a little bit and get a sense of, you know, who they are as a person and um, what life is like for them right now, or maybe things that they've experienced in the past that might be impacting how they're, you know, relating to the world. Um, And so, yeah, like my goal is usually just to you know, help them feel comfortable and help them, you know, it's a weird thing to go in and sit down and talk to somebody that you've never met before and, mm-hmm. and talk about things that are really um, personal. And so, yeah, that it, I, I appreciate that, that um, what a challenge it is to come in and sit down and talk to somebody you don't know. So the more that I can do to help people feel comfortable and, um, you know, really try to just get a sense of what's going on for them and the ways that they're impacted.
2: So if someone were to come in, like, what are some ways that you would help them feel comfortable? You know, do you let them, um, you know, I'm just trying to picture what this might look like, you know, you know, come in, have a seat anywhere you'd like. Do you want some water?
0: It's even thinking my office is pretty cozy that um, Mm -hmm. I don't have people lay down on a couch and I'm not (laughs) sitting there with a a notepad and a pen writing down everything you're saying or (laughs) 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 that. Yeah. Like I'm just trying to do anything, that I can, to, and I might, you know, ask some questions just about, you know, if it, if you were coming in, you know, I might say, oh, Olivia, you know, how long have you been in Gainesville? Mm-hmm. Um, what are things like for you here? You know, trying to, you know, what brought you in at this time or you know tell me a little bit about what's going on mm-hmm. um, and then just kind of and sometimes gauging you know if, if how ready the person feels to kind of jump in or go or if they seem you know a little nervous that you know maybe taking more time to um, help them feel comfortable or if they have any questions for me or if there's anything that they would like to know I'm happy to, you know, answer some questions or, um, anything that can just help them feel a little more comfortable.
2: Okay. So it's not like you delve in and you're like, okay, come on, give it all to me right now. Cause I think a lot of times that's what, that's what some people expect, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, they're gonna like go into my brain and shrink it and do whatever it is, you know, because of those misconceptions they have.
0: Definitely. And that I'm not, Sitting there analyzing everything that they're doing and reading into all of these things, or, you know, it's really much different than that mm-hmm. um, and so helping them you know feel comfortable and kind of gauging what pace they want to go um, sometimes even just making an appointment can be a huge step for someone or coming into the office can be a huge jump for someone that that's mm-hmm. a big step to take to reach out and I you know share with clients as well that you know I when I'm going through something I go talk to a therapist and it is just as hard if if not harder <laughs> for me to go in and sit down and talk to somebody sure. Um, because yeah, like I'm worried about, Oh, what is this person thinking? You know, Oh, mm-hmm. are they, um, you know, and I know some of the things that they might be thinking. And so, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it helps me also appreciate, you know, what, what clients are going through or what my clients are going through when they come in and they make the appointment and they, you know, sit down and it's really a relationship and they're gauging, you know, whether they can trust you or not. And so you're, you're Building trust with them.
2: Mm-hmm. And that trust happens over time. Sure. And I think, I think that's a great point that you make that, you know, you try to normalize it and say, Hey, look, you know, I go to therapy too when I need it. And that kind of lets them know, reminds them, you know, therapists are people too. We're people just like everybody else. Definitely. Definitely.
0: Yeah. And I think it, it helps me appreciate, you know, what it feels like to go in and sit down with somebody that you don't really know and, um, and open up. And, um, you know, I think oftentimes we're, you know, really judgmental towards ourselves or hard, or we're, you know, our own kind of worst critic. And so we assume that the other person is also, you know, judging us harshly and Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that, yeah, but, you know, really, um, that there's, I have no investment in, in judging someone else. And I don't think that there's anything beneficial in that, that, you know, it's like trying to kind of create a, a safe environment where the person feels accepted and feels safe enough to kind of explore what brought them in or what they're struggling with. Mm-hmm.
2: All three of us here are licensed mental health counselors. And um, we see students that come into the CWC who aren't really sure what, what type of mental health provider they need to see, whether it's a psychologist, a counselor, a social worker, a psychiatrist. And Olivia, I was wondering if maybe you could kind of talk a little bit about that. You know, what are the differences between, between all of those and when should a student see a certain type of provider for those services? Yeah,
3: that's a great question. So first I would say some of the similarities between uh, those different providers are that they all can provide mental health services. Uh, they all can work in a variety of different settings. Uh, we see them in, in schools and in hospitals, community mental health clinics, private practice. So I think that's why some people get confused
1: Mm-hmm. because
3: they all work in those settings and, and a person coming in for services might say, I don't know which one of them I need, but I need something. Mm-hmm. So a counselor is typically a master's level clinician. Um, they can provide individual counseling, group counseling, family counseling. They can provide some uh, level of assessment and diagnosis services. Mm-hmm. And then a psychologist is typically doctoral level, and they can offer those same services that a a master's level clinician would offer. But you also may see psychologists working in research settings or performing more in-depth assessment or testing services. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, uh, in a school setting, you may see them doing testing services for ADHD, in some hospital settings or, or community mental health settings doing, you know, personality type of testing or assessment. It's a little more in depth or comprehensive. Um, and then a psychiatrist typically holds a medical degree. Mm -hmm. So you'll see them often prescribing medications and it's not as often that we see psychiatrists these days uh, doing therapy, but they can. Mm -hmm. Um, but most often we see them, as, as medication prescribers for students or for individuals with mental health needs. So those are, I think, kind of the main differences between those different uh, specialty areas.
2: Right. I know that sometimes, you know, where we are, where we're working, we're often referring students to see different types of clinicians. And a lot of times, you know, the the student, if we refer them into the community, you know, we'll give them a list of, of therapists and they're like, well, how do I know which one is the right one? You know, because sometimes you might not match with a counselor. So what do you tell students when they're like, how do I pick the right one? What do I do?
3: Yeah, it's hard cuz it feels sometimes it can feel like speed dating, right? <laughs> when you're when you're going through and maybe like calling different counselors and trying to learn more about their style. Some counselors have websites and some don't where you can mm. kind of learn a little bit more about their practice. But I would say that there are a lot out there that do offer at the very least some initial phone consults where you can ask questions and feel them out to see if they're a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. In other cases, you might not realize until after a couple sessions, whether or not you feel like you're clicking or vibing with a person or not, um, Mm -hmm. and whether or not you feel like you're establishing a good rapport with them. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to decide for yourself that you want someone else don't Mm -hmm. stick with a counselor because you feel like you're going to hurt their feelings because this is about you this is your process and you need the person that's right for you and also i would say don't give up on counseling altogether just Mm -hmm. because the first counselor you see isn't the right fit for you. Sometimes it just takes a few tries to find the person that is right um, because lots of counselors do have different styles and their interventions they use might be different. So those are all really helpful things to ask in the beginning um, before you kind of jump into the counseling relationship too.
2: So asking about what their style is, what their interventions are, I think that's that's really important and especially not to give up because I know that it can be so discouraging when you, know, you finally go and you get help. You've been dealing with something for a while. You go and you get help. You make that phone call. Then you might have to wait a week or two before you actually get in to see them and then to sit down with them. And there's just no chemistry whatsoever. And you're like, this person does not fit what I need. And it's nothing against that other person. They could be a wonderful person, but it just doesn't fit with you. And so it is discouraging, you know, to walk away and be like, well, that was kind of a waste of my time. But you're right. You know, it's important not to give up and to try somebody else because eventually you will find that right fit. And one of the things, you know, as I was preparing for this, one of the things I was thinking of, too, was we need different therapists for different periods in our lives. Like, I can look back to when I first started going to see a therapist. I was in my 20s. And the therapist that, that I found, I found through a friend of mine, like she had been going to see this therapist. And I said, you know what? I think I need to see somebody too. So she referred me. And so I started seeing this therapist and she fit me fantastic. So it was great. And it worked great for a while. And then, you know, I took a break from therapy because, you know, it's, I didn't need it, you know, long-term. But when it was time for me to go back to therapy to work on some different issues, I purposefully looked for a different therapist, because I was at a different stage in my life. I was a therapist at that time. I was looking uh, for someone uh, who had a specific specialty. I actually wanted a male point of view. So I was going, I ended up searching out a male therapist who specialized in seeing other therapists and some other, you know, uh, different specialties that he had that matched with what I was looking for. So, you know, it was just interesting, you know, how d- different stages of your life will have different needs.
3: Couldn't agree with you more.
0: <laughs> yeah, that finding the right fit, I think, is such a important thing. And sometimes, you know, you can look at someone's like little website or what they wrote and get a feel of like, oh, yes or no, or yeah, calling them and just, you know, having a conversation or, you know, just going in and seeing, but trusting that, yeah, like if it doesn't feel like it's a good thing, I just like um, Liv was saying that, um, you know, that it's totally fine and it you will not offend the therapist <laughs> that yeah. it's okay like I would <laughs> I know I'm not the best fit for every single person and mm-hmm. I would much rather yeah even help you find someone that might feel like a better fit or if there's something that you're needing that I'm I'm not able to offer that yeah I would rather you know help you find someone or support you in finding what what fits best um, mm-hmm. rather than have someone come in if it if it doesn't feel quite right. and I've had that experience too where I have gone to a therapist and I think one of them like pulled out a whiteboard and drew a diagram it was just like yeah no this is not (laughs) this is not gonna work for me and that may be great for some people but it was just very I was like yeah no this is this is not not working for me and so yeah I just you know said thank you and found someone different and Mm -hmm. that's totally fine you're allowed to do that.
3: Yeah, Uh, And I totally agree with like different points of your life, needing to see someone with different styles. I can think back to being as an adolescent. I really wanted to, I needed a therapist that was warm, that was not going to be super directive with me because I was stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, I needed someone who was felt like was really going to get me and more be like alongside with me. And then as an adult, Um, When I hit my twenties, I really knew that I needed someone more directive and um, needed needed just that different style. So, I just think I agree with you totally, Olivia. That at different points that we may come to find that we're needing something different from our counselors, and it's okay to kind of switch it up and do something different.
2: Yeah. Because all of the therapists that we see, the good and the bad, you know, no, I shouldn't say bad, but maybe like not the right fit. You know, we learn something from every single one of them. You know, we learn something about ourselves from from each one of them. I've had actually both clients and family members and friends in my personal life say, "Well, why would I go see a counselor? I could just talk to my I could talk to you, Olivia, you know, or I could talk to my spouse or I could talk to my parent. Why do I need to go see a counselor?"
0: Yeah, I mean I think it's a it's nice having someone that's completely objective that, you know, doesn't have a stake, and you know what. it, you know, I tell my family members, or when I'm supervising newer counselors that you know are learning to set boundaries. That um, it's like you just can't, you know, you can't be objective with a family member with because you care about them, and you you know, and it's hard to see them hurting or in pain, and mm-hmm. that it's just a different experience to see someone that you know doesn't know your whole situation or isn't wanting you to do a certain thing or to that they want to Help you see what's best for you, Um, and that's a really different. And that it's a nice because there you can go in and talk with them and say whatever you want, and that you don't have to worry about that in that relationship and other aspects of your life. That it's like it's contained in the therapeutic sense, and so you might be able to open up more, take risks that it doesn't have the same repercussions that you know sharing something with a friend and what the friend does with that or how they're um, how they might perceive that, that it's um, just kind of a more private um, space to to deal with things and process. Mm-hmm. And,
2: you know, you, you bring up a good point where, you know, it's a different relationship. And when it's somebody that, that you have that personal relationship with, and you don't want to see them in pain, you know, we don't necessarily want to see our clients in pain either. But we're I think I'm more comfortable seeing my client in pain. I'm more comfortable sitting with that, you know, I don't, and allowing them to express themselves than I am with, you know, a friend of mine, you know, where I may want to jump into that, okay, how can I solve this problem? When sometimes that's, that's not the best solution for that person.
0: Does that make sense? Right, right. Yeah, definitely.
2: So, tell me a little bit, and I'd like to hear from both of you. Like, what has your journey been as a counselor? Like, what prompted you to start in this direction? Liv, I'll start with you. Sure. So, I actually started my career
3: after college working in juvenile justice. I worked as a juvenile probation officer, and this is where. I actually found my love of working with children and families. Mm. I struggled with my role Mm -hmm. (laughs) at times because I felt like I just bled empathy for the families that I worked with. And I searched for ways that I could use this more as a strength. And I was mentored by some really incredible people that helped guide me in finding what was really the best direction for my career with the strengths that I had. And it was through a good friend and a colleague that I was presented with a really good opportunity to work at a local school district where I started doing suicide risk assessments and assisting families with connections to resources. And I saw this as a great opportunity to intervene and catch kids before they fell into the system. And I really dove into counseling work in this role. and. I just knew it was what I was meant to do. So I got additional experience in my graduate work, internships, part-time work that I picked up through the years. And I was able to work with people across all different age groups and backgrounds. And from a personal standpoint, I, I myself utilized the support of therapists at different points in my life. And so I truly believe in the process. And I think that's part of it is I just really buy into the process of counseling and what it can do for people, different stages of their life. And my journey ultimately brought me to UF after my husband and I were relocated to Florida uh, for his work. And so for the last year, I have really, really enjoyed working with college students. My move to Florida was a really big one for me personally. It caused or created a different level of empathy that I have for students that are new to college, exploring their identities. Maybe it's their first time away from home or they've come really far to be here. And I I just really understand the challenges that come along with that now since relocating. So I definitely feel like I'm relating to this population pretty well, but I can't, you know, looking back on the trajectory of my career, I really can't imagine myself going into any other field at this point this
2: is i love it here yeah <laughs> yeah it sounds like it's been so rewarding for you yeah really has been
0: what about you perry what brought you to this field yeah. Um, well, I've been at UF for a very long time. Um, I'm a three-time Gator alum and have <laughs> four <laughs> degrees from UF. Wow! Um, so, way back when I was a psychology student, and it's funny because I said, gosh, I would never want to be a therapist. I can't imagine. And in my experience, usually when I say I would never want to do something, that's like exactly what you end up doing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I had a, a professor, he was a graduate student, and he Talked all the time about the Alachua County Crisis Center um, Mm. when I took his class. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'll try volunteering there. And so I think I was 20 at the time. And I went through the training, and it was probably one of the most challenging things I've done in my life. Um, It's Mm. just very, um, like, the philosophy of the Crisis Center is very much like kind of you getting in touch with your own pain and struggling so that you can be present with others that are going through something. And so I like barely made it through the training. Somehow I speak through and graduated and <laughs> went on the crisis lines and um, talked to all different types of people and um, answered the suicide hotlines and, you know, worked overnight shifts. And mm-hmm. um, and it was really, really wonderful. Like I loved the the philosophy there and that really connected and resonated with with what I feel like is helpful to um, other people then I started doing some of the outreach teams that they have. So like if there was a you know, car accident or mm. um, some sort of like emergency or trauma or a death in the community, um, we would go and we would talk to the families or if we had someone that we were you know, talking to on the phone that would benefit from talking to someone, we would go at three o'clock in the morning and we would sit down in their living room and we would talk with them. And it mm. was just really amazing to do that type of work. Um, And I had the opportunity. um, It was actually the first week that I started graduate school for counselor education. It was right around the time that the Hurricane Katrina came through and they'd completely wiped out the uh, New Orleans Crisis Center. And so they were sending a a team from here to go respond there. And so it was like the first week that I was in class and the, the director at the time of the crisis center, you know, came in and said, he was doing a talk in one of my graduate classes, and he said, oh, so you're going to go, right? And I was like, well, I just started graduate school. I don't think they're going to want me, like, leaving for a week. To- <laughs> they might, like, kind of want me to be here. And he's like, oh, come on. So I was like, oh, man, I should go. Like, what am I going to remember, like, this week of graduate school or, yeah, like, going. And it was terrifying. Like it was really, you know, we took eight people and we drove out there and um, we manned their crisis lines for a week, um, 24 hours a day and just the impact. But what it really showed me was, um, and there wasn't much that we could offer. People were like calling these lines for hours and hours and hours and um, there wasn't like just that like human connection or just mm-hmm. having someone to listen to them and hear and it felt I felt helpless so I was like oh my gosh I want to do something for them but really just having that person to listen and understand and really hear them. And that was just showing me how powerful that was. And it's kind of a good reminder, you know, even with, it's like that, that it is a lot that we're, we're offering and it's, it can be really powerful just to feel heard and understood. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that alone is enough to really shift things.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And so I came back and I finished graduate school and
2: (laughs) and
0: (laughs) my clinical experiences at the crisis center. And then um, a job opened up. So I, I worked there for about five years on the staff. Mm-hmm. And the crisis center is such a wonderful resource that we have here. It um,
2: really is. Mm-hmm.
0: So fantastic. And I just cannot say enough good things about them. We're so lucky to have them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did that and eventually um, I went back to school and worked on my doctorate and I realized that I was never going to finish my PhD if I stayed at the crisis center. The the director's like, just close your door, work on it. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna close my door, and you guys are gonna be like knocking, Mm -hmm. like, there's an emergency. And so, That was like probably one of the hardest decisions that I ever made was leaving there. But I knew that that's what I had to do to um, to finish. And I think it was it was good for me to step away because I you know I liked that like 24 hour like knowing what's going on in the community yeah. and getting calls all the time. But also it was exhausting, and it mm-hmm. um, I think I was getting kind of burned out. And it and it was good for me to kind of step away and shift my focus and you know take. lot of what I learned um, but also to do something new and offer help in a different way Um, and so I finished my doctoral degree and then um, went into private practice Mm -hmm. Um, and that's been I have uh, two young children and so I'm able to spend more time with them and um, do uh, private practice so it's been a really nice balance um, to do do both. That's
2: fantastic. And thinking about your experience after Hurricane Katrina, how impactful that must have been for you as a clinician and also for the people that you served, you know, people who had completely lost everything. Yeah. And what a traumatic experience. Right. And, you know, Maybe you weren't able to rebuild their house for them or, you know, anything like that, but you were able to listen to them. Right. And like you said, that is that is a valuable experience in itself.
0: Yeah, and I think as a therapist or as a counselor, you know, a lot of times it's like, I know clients come in and a lot of times they're really desperate for help or they, and I want to help them or like, Mm -hmm. it's like, if I had a magic wand, I could just boop and like (laughs) fix all your problems. Like, I would love to do that. Or if I had like exactly what the answer is of what you should do, like, I would love to tell you that or give Mm -hmm. you a quick fix or, oh, there's nothing. I would want more but also I recognize that yeah like I I really want to help the client figure out what is best for them and resist my own need to fix or to offer any of that because I, I do trust that client can get where they need to go, And but sometimes it may take a while and it's hard to be patient because, mm-hmm. um, but sometimes, you know, if you think about how many years it takes to get to the place where you're struggling and you come in to reach help that, yeah, it, it might take a little while to get to a place, but that there, there can be relief and that you you can um, feel better it's just hard to be patient hard to not because we all want a quick fix (laughs) right
2: right especially nowadays when that's just part of the culture you know you want something boom you go to Amazon and get it you know you are wondering about a fact you know and you can research it on Google you know we've got that instant gratification going on
0: right Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Have a question about mental health? Have any questions about CWC? Ask It! Ask It! is a new way for students to ask mental health questions and get answers from a CWC associate. Ask It! provides responses to a range of inquiries such as when to ask for help, how to manage day-to-day stress, how to support a
1: fellow Gator, existing resources for addressing mental health concerns, and more. Once you submit your question and contact information, a CWC clinician will respond with an answer within five to seven business days. Ask your question today at counseling.ufl.edu forward slash ask it.
2: What Liv was saying earlier about using her personal experience um, and her professional experience in her current job now with, you know, moving and entering a whole new phase of life and how she uses that to relate to the college students now, your experience, Perry, at the crisis center and then working with uh, people of Hurricane Katrina, how has that, I guess, how has that informed your practice now, you know, working in private practice?
0: Yeah, I mean, I do a lot of trauma work and I really enjoy um, working with uh, trauma. And I think, you know, it helps. I think what it, the way that I conceptualize clients and cases and, um, you know, it's like, I'm trying to understand the impact someone's experience. And a lot of times people, you know, develop ways that maybe they had to cope or that they had to survive to get through certain situations. Um, And thinking, you know, for myself as well and things that I've been through in my life, you know, and it's like sometimes those, Coping strategies that we needed to have and that we developed end up kind of getting in the way a little bit, or or maybe they're no longer needed and we're still engaging, you know, with with people in that way, or we're responding to things in a way that's similar to our past experiences. And so for me, I guess just using my personal and professional experiences of just helping it's like a way to not necessarily pathologize someone's behavior but to more so understand like okay what is it that that is going on here and I'd say like most of the people that reach out, we'll say, oh, d- depression, anxiety, and so that's usually, like, what brings someone in, but then when you start to really, you know, peel away at it, it's like, oh, and this, but there is some sort of trauma or there's some sort of, like, reason that they're responding that way or that they're feeling that way, and so, you know, usually there's kind of more to it, mm-hmm. um, and so it helps me kind of just see it kind of holistically.
1: hmm
2: for for our listeners who may not be who may not know what trauma looks like, and of course there is such a broad spectrum yeah, of it, um, yeah. can you
0: explain a little bit about what that is? Sure. Well, I think, you know, a lot of times when we hear trauma, you know, we think of like an assault or, a, you know, accident or like some huge event that, but that, yeah, like there's there's all different types of traumas, like the, and it may be something that, you know, the person may not categorize as trauma, but maybe not getting as much um, affection from your family, that that's something that can you know, cause trauma on some level, that it's, Mm -hmm. like, something, you know, too much or too little or, you know, that it's things that we may not consider to be highly traumatic but may cause kind of a a trauma response. Mm
2: -hmm. Okay, thanks. You talked a little bit about Previous um, things that, you know, growing up with. And a part of that is there's still, even though we're doing our best to eradicate it, there's still a stigma regarding seeing a mental health counselor. And so, it could be that our, it could be a cultural thing, it could be a generational thing, you know, like you, you don't need to go outside of, you know, your family to discuss these things, or it may look poorly on you or on the family, or families um, don't necessarily believe in mental health. How do you work around that with, with people? And I'd like both of you to, um, to answer that.
3: Some things that I would say would warrant doing some counseling, but they're really skeptical of the process because of maybe some of those cultural pieces of, you know, what their family might say, what their upbringing has kind of taught them to believe about the process of counseling. I really try to meet the client where they're at with that feeling um, and, and begin to normalize those Skepticisms and uh, confusion about the process of counseling because it really is one of those things that, like you said earlier, media has portrayed in a certain way, or maybe experiences that they've heard from other people have caused these kinds of feelings around, you know, stepping into the process of counseling and there's also sometimes a fear of judgment by your family or by friends. What if I tell them I'm doing counseling and they're going to think less of me or they're going to judge me in some kind of way. So I try to work with those emotions and really demystify the process of anyone can benefit Mm -hmm. from counseling. Um, It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Right. Um, And especially those students that have this concern around keeping things really private. Um, that's where I really start to talk about things like confidentiality and privacy and recognizing their concerns about sharing their personal stuff with someone that's outside of their family mm-hmm. and how that would feel. Cause it's vulnerable it's scary. It can feel super intrusive. Mm -hmm. And so myself as a counselor, I would approach those students with a lot of care and patience and just recognizing that they're not going to be ready to just kind of like dump all their stuff right away. And that is all right. You know, Mm -hmm. we can take things as slow as you need to Mm -hmm. because I just want you to feel comfortable. Cause again, this is, this is for you. It's not for me. So I'm going to take things at whatever pace you need.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Great. I think I answered your question.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you (laughs) did. You did. It's nice to see what your approach is, you know, to, to a difficult situation like that.
0: Perry? Yeah, um, I think you bring up a great point about the stigma and particularly like um, cultural barriers or, you know, it's it's really important to um, acknowledge that and that that may be, you know, on top of just how difficult it is to reach out that really understanding what it means for this person and from their, you know, cultural values or beliefs and what the, you know, their kind of system or community um, and really kind of addressing all of that on, on every level and yeah i mean i think it's it's kind of normalizing and validating and i know sometimes also it's students may feel like, oh gosh, you know, if I share this about my family, does that mean that I'm ungrateful or is the counselor like judging my parents or, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, I promise you we're not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I will often tell me, I'm like, my husband and I are both mental health counselors and I will gladly pay for my children's therapy later in life (laughs) when they need it. (laughs) It's like, you know, I think we do the best that we can, but, you know, that of course like we're we're going to be impacted by um the situations that we're in and it doesn't mean anything about the person or their family or that you know even the the situation I think I trust that most people are are doing the best that they can and sometimes things happen and that's okay but Mm -hmm. that yeah that um really just understanding what it what it means for that person um Mm -hmm and it, yeah unfortunately with stigma that you know it's it's really a shame that we don't think about mental health the same way that we think about physical health that you know it's like if we just like yearly you know you go and you do a checkup and just kind of see how you're doing like if we thought about mental health the same way where it, it It's just like that, you know, that um, when something is not feeling quite right, you just go in and you talk with someone or, you know, even just more of a preventative kind of um, feel to it instead of, you know, waiting until, oh, you know, things are so awful that, um, you know, it gets really severe. Mm -hmm.
2: That's great. You bring up a great point. That was actually one of the... um, questions, we had um, asked some of our uh, student mental health ambassadors some questions, and one of them was, why is mental health as important as physical health? And you you really touched on it. And I know that, that you're an athlete, and so I was wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, probably one of the ways that I take care of myself um, is through physical activity Um, and my approach to therapy I have kind of a somatic frame or I'm very interested in the body and kind of how we experience the body I think part of that is because I'm I've been an athlete and so I Mm -hmm. um, you know really engage with my body a lot and have a sense um, and yeah when I was in graduate school I was a competitive boxer and um, I just love, you know, and that was such a, I was working at the crisis center at the time. And so it was so nice to just go into the gym and just punch something and yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. not think, just de-stress and um, oh, it was so wonderful. And even now it's like that, that kind of helps keep me balanced. And it, you know, when I don't exercise or when I don't have that connection with my body like I feel it and I you know my family probably suffers or I like I can't be as present or show up in the same ways and so having that is just such a wonderful outlet Mm -hmm. um, for me personally and you know it's like I think finding what that is for you know each of our clients or ways that we can best care for ourselves Mm -hmm. is so important.
2: Liv, as a counselor, what do you do to take care of yourself? So,
3: I very much enjoy movement as well. I, prior to having a baby, I was running a lot more than I am right now, (laughs) but um, I enjoy running. I've, i do different, I've participated in races prior to, uh, also currently being in the midst of a pandemic. I used to love doing races. I've done about five half marathons at this point. Um, I also enjoy yoga and I love doing just like little things for myself that are self-care. I get my nails done get my hair mm-hmm. done. And those are just kind of like little moments that I steal away from myself. And mm-hmm. um I really enjoy that. Just going out for a walk is nice. Mm-hmm. So I I do try to find something in every day that I can do to, to care for myself. And and even sometimes it's just a really hot shower.
2: <laughs> it's just right. awesome. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think yeah. that's something that some people may think, you know, self-care, like they have to do something extravagant or something big and, you know, it has to be like a whole day event. And while those are great, what can be even more effective is taking like 10 minutes a day to do something just for you. I was wondering um, to wrap up, just since we're talking on more of a personal note if there was anything that you wanted to share like if something funny ever happened when you were in session you know like something awkward I'll I guess I'll go first um (laughs) I have a couple of little stories um When I was pregnant with my first uh, child, I was in private practice and I had to stop a therapy session because I had morning sickness and I hadn't been telling anybody yet that I was pregnant, but there was just no way that I was going to be able to stop that. And so I had to like scoot out of the room really fast and do what I needed to do and then come back. And then I actually have a colleague whose water broke in the middle oh of gosh. her session, and not only did she—no, she's a superhero. Not only did she finish the session, <laughs> but then she saw the next one that was waiting. Wow! I don't know if I could have done that, but that's something that she did. And so again, counselors are people too. So, do you all have anything uh, funny or uh, I
0: have um, bizarre? You know, d- being during the the pandemic and, um, you know, adjusting to telehealth and it's a interesting, you know, it's, I think we're all like zoomed out by this point and, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, but that it's a different feel because you're, you know, y- usually someone's coming to your office and you're sitting there, but like both and sometimes, you know, being at home or the dog barks or whatever happens or, you know, kids are knocking at the door, the, you know, the client also is kind of in their own world and space and it's kind of a different feel, sometimes more intimate, sometimes more distracted.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, But probably one of the funniest moments I had, I have a client who um, her dog likes to sit with her on the couch and during the sessions and like sometimes they'll bark at stuff and which is totally normal. But there was this one time where where, we're talking, we're in the middle of something deep and like all of a sudden she makes this facial expression and I could tell immediately that her dog fart and she said my dog just farted I said I knew it and we both just laughed so hard I was like that is probably one of the funniest counseling moments I have ever had," and just probably very unique to the the situation that we're in now with right the right <laughs> just chalk that up to another strange thing right
2: Right.
0: <laughs> oh so funny oh.
2: anything that you can share live uh. <laughs> i don't mean to put you on the spot <laughs> it's
3: hard to top a dog fart yeah you know i'm just i'm just kind of thinking back to some of my sessions that i had and in, in like my 20s with I had I was working with a male therapist who I really like we've talked about before like the, the kind of therapist you need at different points in your life and mm-hmm. I needed someone who was a little more directive with me and that sort of thing and he was extremely directive with me um at different times kind of and I think there were, were a few sessions that I recall having with him that I just kind of threw him for a loop when I would walk in and just kind of say something. And I, I do remember a session where I, I walked in and I sat down and I was just like, I need to talk about sex today. And his face like his face was just like, all right, strap in, I guess we're doing this. And I I remember my face turning beet red <laughs> and his face turning a little bit red cuz he wasn't expecting that from me and mm-hmm. um but you know what i ended up actually having one of the best conversations i've ever had about mm-hmm. sex and and i say this because there are some topics that we're scared to talk about with mm-hmm. our counselors and because we're afraid we're going to be judged we're afraid it's going to be weird mm-hmm. but it was one of those moments where i Felt super awkward and I laughed when I said it and I blushed. And but you know what? It was like one of the best conversations that I ever had. And I could felt open and comfortable and left that session feeling like I, I I learned something about myself today, and I'm really glad I did that. So I don't know if you could consider that like a super funny moment, but it was it was an awkward, uncomfortable thing that I ended up getting a lot out of. So I'm glad I did it
2: that's awesome that's awesome well thank you both so so much i have really enjoyed this conversation and um i hope we get to
0: talk to both of you soon yeah thank you great to be here
1: thanks for listening you can find cwc talks on apple podcasts spotify or wherever podcasts are found please leave us a rating and review us Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.